This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz Report 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time to get right into it. We're bringing the rest of the team. He is the master of soundboards, drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Uh, I'd be doing a lot better if my dog would find a good place to lay down and quit dragging her nails across the floor, but such is life. <laughs> uh, a man who loves dogs, he loves I can't a lot of things. Here. He's a, he's a renaissance man, uh, but for the, wears a lot of hats, but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod, how's it going? Uh, going great. I appreciate the intro, as always, brother. And we are uh, approaching football season officially. I think we're in, like, <clears throat> zero week, but uh, we got, like, mm-hmm. less than two weeks before it is game day for Texas football. So I'm excited. Rocking and or rolling all the way to game day. Uh, as of, as we sit here today, eleven days. We're at uh, what are we? Derek Johnson days, Major Applewhite days, Ricky Williams for three years days is what we are right now. Then any any elevens? Oh, Sam Ellinger, obvious. Any yeah. other elevens that I'm missing? Duke Carlisle, maybe. No, was those, are the most, those are which which one of the caches was? Uh, which one of the caches was eleven? Was it was Keith Cash eleven? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Keith was 11. I'm going to say Keith Cash. It was Keith Cash. Yes. Keith Cash. Shout out to my man CB. He actually puts out his tribute 
for the game uh, countdown, uh, game day countdown. And yes, it is Keith Cash, along with Derek Johnson. Yep, Derek Johnson, Major Applewhite, Ricky Williams. That's a a heralded number. Bam Bam Sam, Jared Norton. Jared Norton was an 11. Yeah. Right. Trying to think of any other 11s you played you played with Rod B. I can't nothing. Casey, Casey Thompson wore it for a little while. PJ Locke threw it on for a yes. minute. Yes. Yeah. I like, that. Okay. I like that. Uh I like that 11. Man, Anthony Cook wore it. I mean, that, that A11, it, it attracts people. It's people like it's that a, 11. All different varieties, offense and defense. It's a very slimming number, 11 is. Yes. That's true. Good point. Yeah. Make it a I always like like the big defensive tackles that want to wear like number one, get them a nice single digit number. I'm like, bro, you're you're gonna be 330 regardless of whether you're wearing one or 99. Like it's not not, not a whole lot's gonna help a, a big you D better, tackle. But better be a badass if you are a defensive tackle wearing number one. Does Justin what Justice Finkley wear? Did he uh he's one Justice Finkley's he wears one, yeah. I uh, better be a Did badass. Did y'all say Ramon's Taylor? Ooh. Oh forgot Ramon's Taylor. We let the cat out of the bag a few years ago uh, that he may or may not have incited an incident on South Padre that resulted in Matt getting pepper sprayed. So, hey. Yes, that was a fun and crazy day. It's called collateral <laughs> damage. It's okay. It's, uh, it happens. <laughs> Matt, <laughs> massive fight I, between Texas and OU. <laughs> I, I think Matt Matt has survived, and I think he's since okay with everything. Hey, guys, Jalen uh, Catalan is number 11 right now, isn't he? That's he, true. He yeah. Yeah, hey. you, you guys – you guys are picking me up. I'm I'm off my I'm off my game right now. So thank you, Rod, for the assist. Yeah, let's let's start it's, there. Yeah, let's start there with this week's show, Rod, and we'll talk about the secondary uh, because we're through two scrimmages now. And you know, Sart talked on Monday. We we got a little Monday availability with the head coach, and it, we're coming off of a scrimmage again where we heard it over the weekend at Horse Twenty Four Seven. Sark said on Monday, the defense won. They continue to force turnovers. Uh, but he said Jalen Catalan has has brought the, the attitude, the mentality that he's brought uh, has attributed to this defense, contributed to this defense, being a really good tackling defense. And Rod, of all the things I've heard in the preseason, that, that might even even include some of the individual stuff we talked about. That one nugget right there might have me more excited than anything because early in the season, man, as you know, tackling is one of those things that all coaches worry about going into an opener. But it sounds like Sark's not really – when he mentioned the things he's concerned about before the opener, tackling was not one of them. He felt like – he even said they started earlier in camp than he otherwise would with the tackling, and they've done more tackling than he would in a normal normal camp. And this this team isn't dealing with any injuries either. So all that tied together, man, I, I really like where this defense is, especially when the head coach can tell you straight up, we'll see if he's right or not. But when the head coach can tell you straight up he's not worried about tackling and this is a good tackling team, at least it appears that the epidemic in 2023 has not hit Austin, Texas. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't – honestly, I, I think a lot of teams now at the at every level – remember, these are things that Longhorn Blitz was just way ahead of, and now yeah. it seems like they aren't outliers anymore, these things. Like, think about attrition, right? We started keeping up with attrition. You guys came up with your bus rate – and we started tracking, you know, contributors and NFL draft prospects and attrition rates. And then the transfer portal happens. And then basically everybody has attrition. 
right? Mm -hmm. So it's like no longer something like we have to track. And I want to say like and I'm, missed tackles, uh, I, I think are really, really important. But the numbers, I'll admit now after studying it deeper, um, I, I, I don't know if I've seen enough evidence that, you know, teams that, you know, have you know, really high broken missed tackle numbers that that it automatically correlates to that team being a terrible, bad defense because there are so many yeah. other ways to make up for it. Right. Like think about even Texas, right? Texas this year, they are, they were number two, according to pro football focus in pressures, but yet they only had 27 sacks. They only had 14 takeaways. One mm -hmm. of the mysteries Sark is trying to figure out right now on defense is, well, automatically, usually pressures translates to takeaways. It translates to more sacks. That's usually a, a mystery you don't have to solve. Nothing is lost in translation. But for Texas, it has been. Among the top 10 teams in pressures, you had the second fewest sacks behind North Carolina State. Um, look at 14 takeaways. You had 14 takeaways in 2021. You were ninth in the Big 12 in takeaways. Ninth. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like how how do pressures not translate to it? So I am now um, now starting to ponder, you know, more of the defensive stats because defense has changed so drastically in terms of what is a good defense in the last ten to fifteen years and what you value on defense. We've talked about it. Nobody gives a damn about total yards given up anymore on the defense. Like nobody cares. Like it's all those stats. You keep bringing that up. People are like, man, that's a that's a stat that's moot at this point. What matters more is situational defense, red zone, uh, money downs, third and fourth down. And if you're going to look at Texas to, to make another leap, Texas was a good defense last year, but they want to become a great defense or mm -hmm. an elite defense. Where do they need to improve? Let's assume they still are a really good run-stopping defense. They allowed 3.3 yards per carry last season. But where can they make a leap if everything stays – uh, you know, at the same levels that it was last year. Where did they make the leap? Well, uh, first place is money downs, right? And Sark talked about it. Third down and, and fourth down. Texas was eighth in third down defense in uh, last season and seventh and fourth down defense. Well, considering how good the defense was, that's a that's a you could that's a huge place. That's a really important yeah. place. You can make a monumental improvement. We talked about takeaways. You had fourteen PK's defense only had fourteen takeaways his first two years at Texas. It would have one one really bad defense and one really good defense. So he's got to emphasize that. He talked about, hey, we got to emphasize takeaways. They've been getting takeaways in uh, the scrimmages and in, in the uh, training camp practices. So hopefully that's something that continues. That's another place they can improve. Sacks, talked about that. They're not converting pressures in the sacks, only 27 sacks. That's not enough. So there are a lot of places. Hell, I can go over some more too, where this defense can take a leap from good to great. And that's the yeah. hope that you're at the defense goes from good to great to even elite. And how do they do it? They do it by a lot of those areas I mentioned. And going back to Jaden Catalan to bring it full circle, he's a havoc-minded player who, who whose instincts allow him to be around the ball. And then he thinks about taking the football away. He prioritizes taking the football away. The more guys you put on the field like that, havoc-minded players, the better off this defense will be. Yeah. yeah, and to your point, Rod, when you look at, uh, first off, just Texas's players from last year and say, like, in run plays, the amount of missed tackles. Well, you look, you see guys like Ovia Gofu and Diamante Tucker Dorsey, they were the most sound tacklers, but when you actually look at run stop 
rate and run stop percentage, which is forcing negative plays and non gains, which are more impactful, like you're talking about, instead of just worrying about who makes a tackle, because who makes a tackle, you might be making it five yards downfield. That's not necessarily still a good play for the defense. You go look and look at run stop percentage, Jalen Ford, he ranked fourth in the country last season. When you look at PFFs, run stop percentage out of the, I had a minimum 320 downs that he played against the run. He was more than that. And the only guys above him were Tommy Eichenberg at Ohio State, who was like the best linebacker in the country, arguably last year, then a guy from Buffalo and a guy from UMass. So like you're talking out of power five schools, Jalen Ford was number two in the country with a 12.1% run stop rate. And that's a big impactful play where you're actually not allowing the offense to gain anything. And that's sort of more like what you're talking about when you want to have a play like getting home instead of necessarily getting the pressure. And that's where Texas and what made a guy like Jalen Ford so impactful. Great point, Matt. And Jalen Ford, by the way, led the Big 12 in Havoc plays last season. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what it boils down to, Rod. We talked about that. I mean, you said working this defense, take a leap forward. You can just package everything you said together and just say they just need more havoc plays. Just got to make more splash plays. Your TFLs, even your PBUs. Uh, to your point about takeaways, Rod, you know, 28 in two years, I, I went back and looked at the sack numbers. Three less under PK, they're averaging less than two sacks per game. They're 1.88 sacks per game. I mean, you figured, you know, against – ULM or, or, or Rice or, you know, one of those non-conference games or, or somebody bad in conference, like, you figure at least one of those games, like, you might have an 8-9 sack game and just be able to run the numbers up. But, man, that hadn't even been happening. And I know 2021 was different because nobody really had to throw the ball against Texas. But the point stands, man, like, you you need to see more splash plays out of this defense. You need more havoc plays. Yes, Jalen Ford's a havoc player, but you hope, that rubs off on rubs off on guys at the linebacker position and with Jalen Catalan, his his havoc minded, uh, just the way he plays with with havoc plays on the brain. You hope that rubs off on guys in the secondary and those missed opportunities. PK talked about. I think he said it was seventeen missed sack opportunities and I think it was thirteen missed opportunities for for turnovers to force turnovers last year. All that combined, you know, there's a to your point, Rod. There is a lot of room for growth if you just look, you know a little inside the numbers like we are right now. Yeah, and I love the what Matt brought up. There's just so many now with the we're in the analytical era, there are so many ways to uh to to dive deeper into the numbers to talk to, to really figure out what plays and what players are most impactful. And you're totally right. That's why Jalen Ford is so important. Even Sark mentioned it in his latest media availability. He talked about how well the defensive front has been playing and you talked about it uh Jeff that basically the defense and Sark is implying they've won the first two scrimmages, or at least those yeah. those last two scrimmages. And a lot of it's been they've been taking the football away. I think we count, what, five to six turnovers in those two scrimmages. And mm-hmm. I believe a big part – he talked about the defensive front being a big part of that, them being a stop the run. I'm assuming pressuring the opposing quarterback, pressuring whoever the quarterback is. Uh, but also you got some havoc-minded players now back there. We talked about Jalen Ford. Jade Barron is in that category too. You know, last season – I went back and did some research. If you look at havoc plays last season, you know, Texas led the Big 12 in havoc plays. Uh, 
and havoc rate, I should say. Um, and they were they were right there toward the top in 2021. I mean, they were one of the worst teams in the Big 12 at havoc rate. Yeah. Um, so they had a lot of good players that were able to, like Jade Barron, DeMarvio and Overshone was in he was in the top 10 as well in havoc plays. So guys like who I'm hearing, Malik Muhammad, right? Malik Muhammad, there's a lot of talk that he's now you know contending. Uh, potentially competing for one of those cornerback spots and potentially the outside, the wild, uh, sorry, the wide field cornerback spot uh, with Terrence Brooks. But he seems to have an innate sense to take the football away. And I've, I've always, you guys have heard me talk about it and remark about it. I believe a ball hawk um, instincts and ball hawk uh, innate abilities are something you kind of you are born with. Some guys it's almost bred into them or programmed into them when they are youth football players, middle school, little you know, uh, you know, pop born or whatever it may be. They have a mindset about taking the football away, and the football is always their top priority. The man, ball carrier, receiver is always secondary. And I played with these guys, so I know how they think. I wasn't I wasn't bred in the football like that. I didn't think that way. But I know guys like Nasty Nate and Derek Johnson and hell, Michael Huff, Huff Daddy. They they literally did approach the game with the ball mindset, the ball being the priority. So I think you need more guys like that. You need a healthy a mix of guys like that. Malik Muhammad may be one of those guys. You know Jalen Ford's one of those guys. Jade Barron's one of those guys. I hear Anthony Hill. Has yes. some of that too. Anthony Hill's gonna be one of those guys. Yes. Yes. You need to put those guys out there. Those guys will make plays for you. Rod B, listen, I was a really good player, I had great technique and fundamentals. I was not a ball hawk. I will readily admit that to everybody. I was I think everybody who knows Rod B and ever watched the play knows not a ball hawk because you gotta have the ball skills to go along with it. Um, but there was I I, I had prioritized the man. I was gonna defend the man, do my job. Some guys go above and beyond. Those are your havoc players. You got to prioritize and you need to expedite their development and get them on the field. They're a certain breed. They're high risk, high reward. They're going to give up some plays, but you got guys like Rod B. You know, you got guys like, you know, on that defense who are stabilizing forces, guys like Jaron Thompson, that they'll make sure the structural integrity of the defense isn't compromised too much. But you better have those Trevon Diggs, those high risk, high reward players, because they're going to get you the ball back. Yeah, we talked about that last week with the 09 defense. Uh, that to me is the best example I can think of because you had, you know, Curtis Brown and Earl Thomas were your ball hawks, but you still needed a guy like Blake Gideon back there. Like, look, we don't need you to, don't need you to go for the ball. We don't need you to overextend yourself, man. Just do what you do. Just do your job, and we're gonna be fine. And I think I think that's the kind of which is really weird now that Blake Gideon's the safeties coach at Texas, and it's it's weird how it all kind of comes full circle that way too. But uh, circle of life in the game of football, but. No, I, you need. I think Jaron Thompson can be uh, one of those stabilizing forces. You know, Matt. Matt, back to back to the point you made about uh, that's something I've I've always thought in football, like tackles. Right? I know you're talking about missed tackles, raw tackles. Just tackle numbers might be the most useless statistic in football. Like individual tackles, especially like you got like you guys ever seen like a high school football coach that they'll submit like stats into the paper for like players like oh this guy had 27 tackles. Like how how many how many Tackles you're giving him credit for where he like might have got in late or was kind of around the pile and you're giving yep. him like an assisted tackle and like raw tackles are just I, they do they do nothing for me because if you're making you know if you're making all your tackles eight ten yards down the field well, okay they're getting a first down who cares make all the tackles you want they're gonna drive and score at some point uh, but to your point about the missed tackles Rod it's just the same thing if you that's more 
it's an analytical view, but it's also you got to look at that from the eye test standpoint too. Because like if your missed tackle numbers are, are reasonably high, but all those tackles are happening inside the hashes, and it's just like, oh, first guy might have missed, but the second guy got there and cleaned it up. Or man, instead of this being a two-yard game, maybe on this one play it was a six-yard game because a couple of guys missed. At the same time, you could have, in theory, low missed tackle numbers, but if the missed tackle is – like go back to the 2021 Oklahoma game on the first play Texas had where Xavier Worthy makes one guy miss and then goes off for a 60-yard touchdown. Yeah, That's one missed tackle, but that one missed tackle cost you six. Yep. No doubt. Totally. And that's that's why missed. I used to like to count the yards after the missed tackle. Because yes. that to me is more important than the missed tackle itself. Yeah. And that's sort of like the same thing that you see when we talk about running backs and their yards after contact. Well, if you have a guy like Bijan, there were sometimes he'd make a move. He don't even make contact. And those are the numbers that you don't see show up there because if you can just make a guy miss, you still gain those yards because of what you did in the DB really screwed up or whoever it is that missed that tackle, but it doesn't necessarily show up on paper. So that's a real good point, Rod. I'm trying to find it on PFF. Like one, one statistic that they track that I really like is they will chart uh, yards after the catch allowed for individual defenders. Oh, and man, cool. I want to, I want to say, I want to say Jade Barron's was like for the TCU game. I want to say it was negative yards after the catch that he allowed. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to find it right now. I yeah, can, I uh, can believe that. The average depth of target for Jade Barron in the TCU game, negative 0.4 yards. <laughs> that average depth of target against him. Uh, yards per reception, one yard per reception, 13 total yards after the catch allowed on seven receptions. Yep. So, yeah, that's that's insane. Yeah, yeah, and if you look overall in coverage last year, it was I think he only allowed 180 yards after the catch for the whole season. So you're talking about on 463 pass coverage snaps. That's a really good number to be able to hold down your opponents. How you like that, Rod? 13 total yak yards on seven receptions. No, he. I mean, he's because he's so decisive. He's so sudden. He just he has no fear in his game. He makes up his mind about the the pre-snap read, the pre-snap clues confirmed by his film study, and then he just goes all instincts. And like I said, I I, I do believe next season there are coaches that are plotting double moves and out and ups, <laughs> um, yeah. and you know slanting goes and you know uh, you know the fake stalk block and go against him because he's so damn aggressive. But I have—I don't think I've seen a DB um, at Texas, honestly, that is that decisive on those short, quick passes. Guys, he had 11 and a half tackles for loss from the yeah. DB position from nickel. Like I, I wouldn't give you guys that last time I, I went back and tracked it. 1978 was the last time Texas had a DB that had 11 and a half tackles for loss. You got Ricky Churchman. So it's, it hadn't happened in a long time, especially in this day and age. That dude, I mean, I think he's, he's an all Big 12 defender right now. He's my they, favorite yeah. guy in the secondary right now. Teams and were I exactly went, spreading people out, Rod, in 1978. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when you brought up that stat, Rod, I went and looked, and last season, according to the NCAA's website, nobody had – or no DBs had 12 tackles for loss. So it was either a tie or he led the country out of all DBs. Wow. That's uh, 
I want to stay with the defense real quick before we go talk about the offense. We talk about position battles, and, and you know, next week's show we'll have a depth chart to talk about. I don't know that there's going to be if you've been following us at Horns twenty four seven, been following uh, Rod. I don't even I've lost count of how many platforms you're on at this point. Uh, but if you followed Rod on any of his platforms, uh, there shouldn't be a whole lot of surprises. I know Sark said that on Monday, but I agree with him. Like, if you've been paying attention, there shouldn't be that many surprises. But on defense, you know, we assume that it's going to be a nice three-man rotation at safety between Keaton Crawford, Jalen Catalan, uh, and Jaron Thompson. I think it's a three-man rotation at corner. Rod, you mentioned Manny Muhammad. For all intents and purposes right now, from everything we heard, he, he is the number three corner. They feel like he can play field or boundary as a true freshman. Terrence Brooks could play field or boundary. The only guy, not it's kind of like the offensive line situation where DJ Campbell can only play a right guard. But you got Hayden Connor and Cole Hudson, they can play different spots. Like Ryan Watts is only a boundary corner. But you got Terrence Brooks and Manny Muhammad that can play both. So I think that that's a nice little three-man rotation. Gavin Holmes, uh, I know Sark said it, but that kind of confirmed what we reported on the site. Her Gavin Holmes had a really nice second spinach. So I like the rotation. Man, the only spot, Rod, that really we don't know who's going – and I think, too, sidetrack, side note, I think – or sidebar, excuse me, if I can get my verbiage right today. I apologize for being all over the place. Gonna be a nice little three-man rotation at tackle on the interior, primarily with Sweat and Murphy and Collins. The oh, and Ethan Burke kind of solidified that that starting buck linebacker job in the scrimmage. Okay. The, the only job we really don't know exactly what it's going to look like is that weak side linebacker position. Yep, you got David Bend and Mo Blackwell. We know Anthony Hill is going to play. We know he's been cross training at edge and at at, a, at that off ball linebacker spot. Am I am I wrong, Rod? That's really the only spot that we don't know rotation, who's starting. We really don't know for sure at that one spot. Everything else seems like we've at least got an idea of what's going to happen. No, I totally agree with you. And, you know, those three spots you brought up, like I said, I, I've always said, at least in always, this offseason I've said I would start there to game plan against the Texas defense. That off-ball linebacker opposite Jalen Ford – uh, wide side or field corner and whoever's going to end up being that defensive end opposite Baron Sorrell. Uh, but like you said, they like all of their options everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think actually they like their options at off-ball linebacker too. I really do. I think they believe, listen, we'll go with the prodigy. If David Benda, you know, can't be consistent enough to like solidify and stabilize that that position they'll yeah. go with the prodigy why not go with the prodigy anthony hill but if he is a stabilizing force there he's a calming force there which he should be as a fifth year senior we're hearing good things about him then anthony hill can truly be rotated in though at that linebacker spot but also be your situational pass rusher because yeah. Sark is yeah. already right Sark has said he's the second best pass rusher behind byron murphy on the team yeah, when you bring up the name Benda, and it's a name that like Texas fans may have a few flash plays that stick out in their mind where it's like, oh, I'm not sure about him. But when I looked at the numbers and him in coverage, I was surprised that like when you look at just PFF coverage grade, David Benda ended up above Jalen Ford for the season. Now it's in about a tenth of the amount of snaps. But still, it was like his NFL passer rating allowed was respectable in the mid-80s. But to have a better coverage grade than Jalen Ford surprised me because it doesn't sort of, in my mind, I think of him as possibly being, you know, problematic in coverage. Yet that was something that was at least good to see that it, when he was given the opportunity, now some of it might have been mop-up duty and things along those lines, he at least performed adequate. Yeah, 
this might be just me being way too much of a of a Mo Blackwell truther to to make this statement. So everybody listening, whatever forum you post on social media or on the internet, feel free to roast me for being a Mo Blackwell truther. <laughs> Rod, Rod, is he too valuable on special teams to think that he can he can hold up for long stretches? Like I, I think that's really the only thing holding Mo Blackwell back because at 195 pounds, as violent as he is. I think that's really the staff's only concern. Like, hey, number one, he's valuable on special teams. And number two, we can't ask him to play, you know, 50, 60 some odd snaps at weak side linebacker because his body won't hold up for 12, 13 games. Yeah, it's interesting because I they say they can't seem to commit to Mo Blackwell, or maybe Mo Blackwell can't seem to commit to yeah. a position. Because I thought he was the Domarvion Overshone experiment, right? Just transition him to the linebacker position, put some weight on him, get him used to the physicality, get him in the weight room, and then basically he's a new age linebacker. And they didn't do that because they moved him back to safety and then he moved back to linebacker. And um, So I hope he just isn't getting lost in the shuffle because I'm with you. I mean, I know you're, you're on the Mo Blackwell bandwagon more than anybody, but I just think in a, a positionless football world that we live in, you know, there's a place for Mo Blackwell. And I don't know if the coaches did him any favors, because they didn't give him a, a designated role and a place yeah. that he could, he could start cultivating that specific skill set. Going back and forth from safety linebacker, I can tell you right now that that's 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 not necessarily a recipe for success. So oh. I, they're recruiting another guy. As a matter of fact, right now I believe he's on the on the uh, the twenty. He's one of the guys that's being recruited in the twenty twenty four class. He's from um, like Marshall, uh, Joshua Lair. He's like basically mm-hmm. a He's essentially a box safety. He's 6'2", 185, like 190. And I was looking at his uh, huddle, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy's a box safety. He can can strike you. He'll bring the hammer. But I was like, he's not a new age safety. And I'm thinking, maybe they're thinking DeMarvio and Overshawn with him. Or maybe they're thinking, you know what, we want to get into the positionless football business on defense. But we're just not sure how to do it. So maybe we'll minor in it with some athletes and see if, they can transition in that role. Like, I'm not really sure what PK and them are doing with that. I, I mean, I've talked about Dan Quinn's connection to Sark, and I know Sark understands positionless football, defense, and offense because he's close to the Shanahan clan, followed Shanahan in Atlanta. He was there with Dan Quinn when he started experimenting with it with Devondre Campbell in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and then now he's in Dallas, and he came back to speak at the coaching clinic, and nobody majors in positionless football on defense like Dan Quinn. So, I go. I keep hoping that maybe he's going to utilize Mo Blackwell in that sense, but I just haven't seen enough evidence, like we talked about, to really jump to any conclusion on it. But I feel bad for Mo Blackwell because I think he actually this this day and age has a perfect skill set to play yeah. this day and age. But the Longhorns have really kind of misplaced him in a sense. Yeah, that's. I'm just trying to find. I'm trying to find an answer because going back to his freshman year, I heard that this staff really liked him. You remember? Right, yeah. I think you. I think you were doing a pregame show, and I was on you on the pregame show, and I because remember that was Demarvin Overson. What do you have? He had like a toe injury or an ankle, or something. I forgot what it was, uh, and and he we didn't think he was going to play. And all I kept hearing that week was, "Man, Mo Blackwell's had a really good week in practice. They really like him." And he didn't end up starting, and they end up, you know, Overson ends up coming into that game, dressing out and coming into that game anyway. And I'm like. I'm with you. Like, there's just there's some disconnect where like they like Mo Blackwell. It's just 
do they love Mo Blackwell enough to give him a feature role? It just seems like yeah. special special teams ace, dime linebacker. That's kind of gonna be that's kind of gonna be his role until further notice. I'm glad you brought up dime too. I mean, we just talked you just talked about the three safeties they believe they have starting caliber potential. We know Jalen Catalan and Jaron Thompson, but they love Keen Crawford. Um, mm-hmm. and they and Stark loves cornerbacks that move to safety. I mean, he's got like three of them now, right? Like Keen Crawford, Anthony Cook's done it for him too. Like he he loves that, right? He loves those guys. He wants safeties that can cover. That's pretty obvious. So they got three safeties. They got three corners now. Like little there'd be three corners. They got Terrence Brooks. They got you know uh, we talked about Malik Muhammad, and they got Ryan Watts who can only play the boundary, but those other two guys can play boundary and field. So you got three right there, and then that doesn't include you, Dave Barron who's might yep. be the best player in that secondary who's a nickel. So we're talking seven DBs right now. And then he talks about Gavin Holmes like he likes him too. You just brought up Mo Blackwell, who's a perfect dime linebacker in that mm-hmm. package. If we don't see some dime this year, I'm going to be a little disappointed. Because first of all, you yeah. don't even know who your off-ball linebacker is going to be opposite Jalen Ford. So situationally, when you're talking about teams in third and long, really long, like third and double digits or second and double digits, if you get a sack on an early down, I'd like to see some dime thrown out there potentially yeah. because I think you've got the talent to do it. And you're not sure that off-ball linebacker, wherever they're going to be, is going to be able to provide you with uh, the stability and the level of play that you want. But you really trust those DBs you got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the ability to have DBs, especially those corners that can play field and boundary, it really helps a ton in this positionalist aspect that we're talking about just because of the ability to adjust to your opponents. Like a lot of the times, if you know one guy's going to be on one side, it gives a lot of clues to the opposition. If you know that Deshaun Jameson isn't traveling with this guy and you can sort of lock in one side of the field to certain rules, and if you have guys that can play both sides and then if you say that can travel with the receiver in situations or then you can actually change your coverage without moving players from one side to the side it really can blur those pictures for the opposing offense it isn't locking a guy into one spot and it really it can be so much more valuable than it shows up on paper Great this point. to me to me rod your idea of, of seeing more don Sorry, I got a little bubble throat right there. Uh, your, your idea of seeing more dime and, and just that theory, it works because to me it's the, it's the same 11 versus 12 personnel argument we have, we can have on offense or the argument we had last year of 11 personnel versus two-back personnel, right? Yep. Does, it benef- does it benefit you more? In other words, in a, in a, in a spot where you can play dime, if you got the personnel to do it, and you're not personnel deficient somewhere, do you feel better about, let's say, having Keaton Crawford on the field or David Bender on the field? That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to simplify it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, totally. and if, it bo- if I'm PK and it boils down to me, I know who I'm picking. All due respect to David Bender, I want Keaton Crawford. Crawford and, and Catalan and Thompson, I want those three on the field together. Yep. It's a great point about bringing it back to what we talked about last year. It's like, you want Casey Kane to be your extra guy on the field or Rojo? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> to get your best 11 out there, right? Yeah. And then it ended exactly. up being, you know, go ahead, man. Go ahead, Jeff. No, I was going to say, like, that too, one of those guys that ended up becoming, I, I went back and looked at the numbers, man. For as much as we talked all off season last year about, 
Keelan Robinson, man, if he could just pose a threat in the passing game. Bro, if you look at his PFF numbers from last year, like he, he was he was one of the best receivers, period, on this roster last year. We yep. just I don't know, I don't know if it got lost in the in the Bijan shuffle or the quarterback noise shuffle or the improved defense shuffle, but somewhere, and that's why in my three things I know, three things I think column this week, I, I gave Keelan Robinson his flowers. Like we just he didn't pay enough attention. I didn't. I didn't pay enough attention to how good he was, especially compared to how we were talking about. Man, can he just at least present a threat of going beyond the line of scrimmage to catch a pass. Like, even a Grand Canyon size leap. You put it perfectly. He got lost in the shuffle literally on the field because when he was that fifth guy that was out there, like, think about that opening play against Texas Tech, and they go, I think they had all three running backs on the field at Mm -hmm. the same time. And he's the guy that ends up being able to break a big one. And it's just not only did you mention the fact that prior to last season, his inability to catch the ball down the field, which he hadn't done yet at Texas. But then when he's that fifth skill guy that was on the field, defenses just had so much to pay attention to that he was able to really be used as a weapon in little spots. And those are those little potent playmakers that if you can fill out your roster, it's what those elite teams do. I mean, when I think about it right now, Georgia's the best example and we plucked away one of their guys in A.D. Mitchell, but they have so many specialized guys that whenever you have that depth of quality player, if you get a guy out there and just get that one mismatch, it's the way that we talk about one to have this positionless aspect and be able to magnify your strengths and then you can go in and zoom in on the opponent's weaknesses. Yeah. I haven't um, tracked it yet, but I, I probably should because Sark, he used the packages last year, you know, in addition to the 21 personnel and 20 personnel, he would throw out 30 and like 31 personnel. And that's when, that's what you're talking about, Matt, that Texas Tech game. Yeah. Um, he's ever had three backs in the backfield. He did it against Bama too. He did it a few times. And every time, you're so right, teams will be so focused on Bijan, so focused on Rojo, they just kind of lose track of Keelan and he leak out of the backfield and boom. And he was more effective last year as a receiver than he was a rusher. So I'm with you, Matt. And I, I, I agree with you too, Jeff, that basically they literally and figuratively, we all kind of lost track of Keelan Robinson. And I think Shark was hoping, he was hoping that was the case. That's why he ended up making so many big plays. <laughs> yep, and that's why in that grouping that you're talking about was so cool when you saw because I mean Jay Witt was the one receiver, but they had him also in the backfield because he's basically like another running back and he's such a great blocker. And Jatavian yep. Sanders is such a great blocker that when you have those guys with those skill guys there and they're all malleable, but they all can be physical, it's really something that you like to see. Yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all remember the movie Necessary Roughness where Kathy Ireland's the kicker and Sinbad's playing defensive tackle. For, for the Texas State Armadillos. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ke- Keelan Robinson's season is like the last game for Featherstone. Remember, like, they throw the bomb and the coaches are like, don't <laughs> throw it to Stone Hands, and he catches it. And Rob Shatters and actually like, oh, my God, he caught it. And then after that, like, Featherstone's catching everything. That was Keelan Robinson last year. He catches the one against Tech, and it's like, all right. He doesn't have pan hands. Like, he can catch, and let's throw him the ball. And you did, and from then on it worked. So it was, it was beautiful. It was, it was, no, it, it, it really was. We thought DJ Monroe, right? Comparisons after the first year <laughs> because he really wasn't even targeted down the field. And honestly, he broke that. He he broke that narrative and shattered it because yeah, he is not DJ DJ Monroe. He's got the speed, but now he's actually threat vertically down the field. I want to see him next. I think the next step is going deep. 
Like we've seen them now yeah. in the, sh the shallow intermediate area catching that pass. I wonder if now they'll just let them run a straight up wheel route down the field and let them just see if he can beat somebody deep down the field. Well, out and up be, or something because yeah. they're going to be expecting him to be underneath and then let him go. Yep. Yeah, you, you, you probably have to, Rod, because the best back you had last year on your roster at running either wheel routes or running running that rail route, he's uh, he's doing it for the Atlanta Falcons now. So you don't you don't have that option anymore. <laughs> it, needs, it needs to be somebody else. Um, let's talk about the. I want to end with this, and uh, I will. Uh, I won't say who because I won't put anybody on the spot. But one of my colleagues in the media was <laughs> found me after the Sark availability because they knew I would be as excited about this as anybody. Uh, and I promised him, look, if if they show this look, I can't promise I'll keep my pants on in the press box. But I want you – I Rod, Rod, did you listen to the Sark availability from Monday? I did. Uh, I liked okay. – I, I really enjoyed your question, too, toward the end. I went about the personnel group. Yes. I, I played that um, on the show this morning. And when he said – he was like, oh, definitely, definitely opens up more money. Okay, Sark is really driving home. The, he's really excited about his personnel group. He's, here's the quote. And, again, gentlemen, keep your pants on, please. Well, we're very comfortable right now changing personnel groupings and having a lot of confidence in the guys that are on the field. The fact that we can go from 12 to 11 to 20 to 21, 10 for that matter, we can go to some big packages using an extra lineman and different things. That's part of our makeup. Historically, that's who we've been. Please, for the love of God, Sark, don't let me down. Let me see. Let me see all these personnel groupings you've got because – you think Rod, like we just talked about Keelan Robinson and, and Sark said this too. He said it's 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 a uh, it, it can kind of be troublesome because you don't have a Bijan, you don't have one guy, okay, he can do everything. You've got more specialized guys in that running back room now. But he said it's almost like being back in the NFL where okay, based on down distance situation personnel grouping, I mean you can have a different guy in there and kind of pick the defense pick at the defense out a number of different ways. We know the talent they've got a receiver and Man, it seems like Gunnar Helm has at least earned the right for them to keep 12 personnel as a, you know, I don't want to say a primary personnel grouping, but it can still be on the menu, as Sark says. Man, this, this has got a chance to be the most diverse Texas offense in terms of personnel groupings that we've seen in a while. Uh, yeah, no, I'm glad Sark is going to continue using a lot of personnel variety. I was concerned, you know, last year they used a lot of two tailback sets, 21, 20 personnel uh, probably upwards of 11% of the time. And they did it because you had Rojo and Bijan. You got two NFL running backs about there. You're trying to put your best 11 guys out there. But they also used what they call the Big 11, Big 12 package, which mm -hmm. is when they put that sixth offensive lineman, Andre Carrick, out there. We know traditionally Sark loves 11, one back, one tight end. As a matter of fact, you go look at third downs for Texas, which I have a ton. And most of the time, he reverts back to 11 personnel. Uh, in his third down situations, no matter even if it's third medium and third long, he just he really you can tell that's his comfort zone. But he understands in order for an offense to reach its uh, its zenith, right? In order for it to reach its kind of ideal state, you must have variety. I'll give you guys a stat. I was doing some NFL research recently about this very same thing, and and Sark considers himself an NFL guy. You see, he dropped that NFL nugget on y'all because he wants mm -hmm. y'all to know, no, no, I got NFL on my resume, baby, so I, and I Just in case you that. forgot, I was yeah, just in the National forgot. Football League. Um, there are six teams in the NFL last season to have at least four different personnel groupings on at least 5% of their snaps, right? So you got six teams 
that run at least four different personnel groupings on at least uh, 5% of their snaps. And the reason that's unique is because most of the NFL is, is obsessed with 11 personnel. But you got a few teams, mostly led by my boy Kyle Shanahan, um, that mm-hmm. like variety. They like um, a lot of diversity with their personnel groupings. Uh, these teams include, obviously, the 49ers. The Falcons are right there. The Ravens are right there. Uh, the Browns are in that conversation um, if you go look at it, actually the Texans were actually in that conversation too. And they were probably being in more with Bobby Slowick. But getting back to it, um, and I looked at Sark, does Sark actually so those are the most creative and the most uh diverse our offenses personnel package-wise in the NFL. And when you look at Sark, he's he's right there, right? Last season, uh, if you look at the 11 personnel. You're upwards of uh, you know forty something percent. Twelve personnel. You're you're way above. You're above twenty five percent. Six O line package. You're upwards of fifteen percent. Twenty one personnel. You're upwards of eleven percent. Like I said, multi back sets also. You would throw in there as well. So Sark is was really diverse last year. Probably more diverse guys than he's been his entire career because he didn't start playing a lot of two tail back sets until he followed Shanahan in uh, Atlanta, and he wanted to transition that offense without going cold turkey from that 20 personnel. So he's probably more diverse now than he's ever been. And what I love about that comment and the question you asked, Jeff, is I don't see him turning back. He's not going to turn around. He's not going to change his ways. We're going to see this part of his DNA going forward. And the beauty of it is, is people think, oh, the diverse personnel packages, they make you tougher to defend. You can maximize and weaponize talent. That's true. But the real advantage, the real advantage and I have a quote from a former director of analytics from Atlanta. He says, quote, and this is the real advantage about throwing as much blank at the wall and seeing if it sticks when it comes to offense. Because all the deep dive analytics say the more personnel groupings you use, the, the more efficient and more effective your offense becomes. He said, quote, if defense is prepared for an offense by primarily studying each personnel group separately, the more groups an offense utilizes that a defense prepares for, the quality of preparation will naturally decrease as time is of a constraint. So the truth is NCAA, or if you're talking about high school, UIL, or you're talking about the CBA with the NFL, you only got so many hours to practice and you only got so many scenarios to actually, you know, present to your defense, to, to actually practice and try to study. And the truth is, you can only study so much, and there's only so much information that you can disseminate to your defense. And they'll give, they'll either, they'll either dilute your defensive game plan, or it's going to be advantageous to the offense because they'll present something your defense just has not studied or seen in practice. You and remember that that's something, and you don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's like literally why we were losing our minds by the end of the Tom Herman era because you were simplifying the process so much for the opposition, being so rigid into your eleven, where you had specific players and there were not any differing of roles in between. And it's like why I brought up the point earlier with having DBs, just having a guy that has the ability to play the field and boundary because you can adjust to these things. I love that you use the quote right there from the guy in Atlanta because Atlanta is at almost the forefront of doing it right now with well of course you know Shanahan knows what he's doing in San Fran but when you look at the skill guys when you draft a Kyle Pitts and you draft a Bijan Robinson and what they can do and how they all can split out and be as good of a receiver as you want 
But when you get them out on the field with your other running back and your other tight end, they're going to have to be matched with power. And it's how you bring up the power principles and pivot to passing plays. It's the same type of idea and your ability to dictate the uh, opponent's decisions and make them force the issue. And you can really just take advantage of them on any side of the field. This goes back on this show, Matt, before the Tom Herman era. I remember we talked about this under Charlie Strong, specifically with that 18-wheeler package, but when they brought that in. And mm-hmm. the the comment at the time was, look, teams don't have en- – you don't have enough time with the, with the NCAA rules. You don't have enough time. If they have to spend a whole period working or at least part of a practice period working on something that you may or may not run, you're already going into Saturday with an advantage. Yep. Totally agree. That's exactly right. Yeah. Within the within the framework of what you do well, take advantage of trying to make the opponent waste as much time in preparation as possible. Amen. So. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, there it is. That's uh, that's going to do it for this week. Guys, it's game week next week. We get to – I don't know how that people go into the Rice game, but yeah, hey, we'll get we'll get ready for a game on our next episode regardless. Uh, Matt, thanks for thanks for everything, Matt. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody within the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and everybody in the Horns 24-7 Podcast family where you can get this podcast each and every week. Just anywhere you get your podcast, just search Horns 24-7. Click that follow button uh, and you'll get every episode of The Blitz when it drops. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Longhorn Blitz family, I am Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.